Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts, and of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Women in Influencer Marketing Podcast. My name is Jesse Grossman, and I'm the founder of this community and also your podcast host. So welcome back to anyone who's new, giant, warm, warm welcome. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell notification. And if you are listening to us on any of the podcast platforms, we hope that you subscribe to the show. We have the show every single week and we share it out every single Tuesday morning. I would say most of you guys tune in as soon as the podcast is released. And I love that. So thank you so, so much to all of you guys who tune in week over week. And if you are tuning in live this week, this is a short three-day holiday here in the state. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you guys. Wanted to wish you well and hope that you have somewhere really nice to go. Enjoy that food and that turkey and that stuffing and just like relax at the end of this week. You guys have definitely, definitely earned it. So another thing to celebrate if you have been curious about our membership for long enough, listened to the show, heard me talk about it, all the membership perks and all that, you might have been holding out for a sale. I don't know about you. I am such a girl who loves deals. I will get the next biggest thing. And if I get a deal with it, it's like the highlight of my week. <laughs> so we normally don't offer a lot of promotions or deals or sales of any kind on our membership. But this week, every year we do. That's not only because it's Black Friday, it's actually our anniversary. So it happens to correspond with Black Friday when there's other sales going on and we hope that you'd be interested in ours as well. So we are so excited to offer you guys 50 bucks off of a VIP membership. It's the biggest deal we offer. And like I mentioned before, we don't offer lots of deals at all. So it's like the biggest and the only one that we offer certainly this year and probably year over year. So all you have to do is go to imwim.com slash join, click on the VIP yearly membership, and you can save 50 Bucks. It's a big promo. All you have to do is use code YAY50. So Y-A-Y-5-0 at IamWim.com slash join. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash join. Of course, we'll drop all that in the show notes as well. But you don't have all the time to do it because of course this expires at midnight. But of course, this offer doesn't go on forever. So use that code through 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, November 29th. That's the last day that you can redeem the coupon. Again, it's Y-A-Y-5-0. You can save 50 bucks. Also, this is worth noting too, of course, it's for people who are new members to WIM, but if you are a standard monthly member of WIM and you just want to lock in that deal slash get all of the VIP membership perks, you can actually take advantage of this offer as well. So this is available for new members and 
upgrades, everyone gets to save 50 bucks off of their first year. Again, it's YAY50. So I hope you enjoy and let's get into this week's episode. So this week we have Monica Banks who joined us on the show. She is a parenting influencer expert and we got into all things parenting influencers. So if you are like nose deep in all of the partnerships that are going on this year for holiday, Many of you guys are probably working with parenting influencers. And if you are, you know, there's a lot of subtleties that go into it. So Monica is a CEO and founder of a company called Gugu Guru, which is the first ever parenting content destination powered by mom creators. She's a mom herself. And prior to founding Gigi, she was branding and marketing consultant in the mom and baby industry. She currently lives with her family on Long Island, New York. And I was really excited to bring her on the podcast. She's an awesome member of WIM. I hope you enjoy the conversation and I want to hear from you. So let me know your thoughts on this episode in the comments on YouTube. Also, if you would be so gracious enough to leave us a review, if you enjoyed this episode or the podcast in general, we would love it. You could do that on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our show. Enjoy this episode, guys. Happy holidays, and I will see you next week. Hello. I'm so happy to have you on the show today, Monica. I've been like looking forward to chatting with you. Not everyone knows sort of like a little bit about my background in influencer. And I used to represent all these parenting influencers, like before parenting was on my radar. In fact, I was like a self-proclaimed like, I don't know that I'm going to have kids cut to years later and I have a kid, but I love the parenting space in particular, and that's an area that you are like so focused in. So I'm excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to have you here today. And first and foremost, how are you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've been so looking forward to this. I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm not feeling the holiday stress, even though the holidays are coming. So I'll check that box off and feel good about myself. (laughs) How about you? I'm good. I'm glad that you're not feeling stressed because I hear a lot of people are stressed this time of year. Just there's so much going on in terms of business and also even like personal stuff. I'm really genuinely excited to chat with you um, and like learn more about your world and how you even like got started in the first place. But I think that it would be really cool to just start by learning more about you personally. And like, let's take us back to like even your upbringing. Tell us where you're from and like, tell us a little bit more about like Monica as a kid. Okay. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So where I am from originally, actually, I kind of call myself like bi-coastal because I grew up in Connecticut just kind of through elementary school. And then um, my family moved to California. 
uh, where I lived through college. So that's kind of, you know, where I'm from. Uh, and I, you know, thanks to things like Facebook, I keep in touch with both sides of the coast, friends with both sides of the coast. And uh, yeah, Monica as a kid, I mean, it's funny, I just was looking through like my old report cards and they're all the same. They all say Monica has problems settling down. <laughs> so I think that that actually became a benefit when I was starting my own company because, uh, you know, you have to have kind of this high metabolic energy to run a company and to to just have the the persistence to stick with it. I'm, you know, other things, I'm the youngest of seven kids, big, you know, Irish family and a lot of humor. And right now I live in Long Island with my two kids and my dog, Henry, and my husband. And I've been working from home since long before the pandemic. My entire team has been remote since day one. So uh, I live and work on Long Island. Very nice. So you were one of the ones like from the early days who was like, I know this work from home thing. Like everyone else was a little like startled by it. Um, but it's cool to see. So like if you could give people advice, maybe who are still getting used to it, like what would you say has really helped you over the years with like the work from home thing? I mean, I think that it's really much harder than people think. And the key to solving that is boundaries. Like everything just kind of flows together. Uh, I personally started working from home and started my company so that I could, you know, have the best of both worlds and be at home with my kids and, you know, be available for those field trips and everything like that while still earning an income. But, um, you know, sometimes the opposite can happen if you're not careful. And definitely in the earlier years, I wasn't wise to putting in boundaries. And so oftentimes I'd be just checking emails at seven o'clock at night when I put the kids to bed and just, you know, it was just constant, almost like a, you know, chaos <laughs> baseline. Uh, and then I started realizing, okay, I have to put in this time is the cutoff time. This is the threshold when I need to stop working and I need to start being present for my family. And also kind of mapping out your ideal day. I know when I am most productive is in the early morning. So I tend to really just pump a lot of workout prior to the kids waking up and the day starting. And then uh, right after I get that initial kind of wave of work done and the kids are at school, walk the dog, I work out, I kind of get ready for the day. And then, you know, the rest of the day is for productivity up until I stop working, but not the tasks that require that kind of high energy creativity. Those are the things I do in the morning. So I think if you know what kind of person you are, as far as, uh, you know, when you're most productive and what you want your day to look like, I know I want, when my kids get home from school, I want to be available for them to make a snack and everything like that. So I tell my team like, look, 3.30, I'm done. I'm done until the next day. Obviously, it, that doesn't necessarily work if you're, you know, working for someone, um, but you can still put in boundaries according to your work schedule if you're, you're not running your, you know, your own business like I am. Wait, I want to talk about that for a second because I know that there are some people listening that you were talking, they're listening. And the second you said 3.30 is to the end of a workday, people went, What? <laughs> Is that a regular thing for you? How are you able to achieve a 3.30 end of workday? 
I mean, I make exceptions if like I'm speaking with a brand who with me is at four o'clock. I mean, there's certainly exceptions, but by and large, I write down every day the three tasks that I need to achieve that day that are going to take my business the biggest step forward. And then also that will give me a sense of productivity if I complete them. So three seems to be kind of the magic number. I try to get those three things done as soon as I wake up in the morning. I mean, I wake up anytime between five and six in the morning and my kids wake up around eight. So I can get a lot of work done in those early hours. It might not work for everyone, that kind of schedule, because some people sleep later, some people uh, aren't as productive in the morning. Maybe their productivity time is noon or, you know, more, more in the afternoon after they've you know, worked out or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly achievable uh, because I get so much done in the morning when it's just, you know, me, my coffee and, you know, two or three hours of totally uninterrupted time with the exception of my husband popping in and asking me questions about the day. <laughs> um, There's always going to be that moment. They're like, oh, hey, can I ask a question? Can I this? Can I that? It's like, I'm trying to focus. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that though. I also think it's helpful to see like, okay, so you're ending the day at 3, 3.30, but you're starting the day sometimes at 5. What time do you go to sleep if you're like starting the day at 5 a.m.? I'm in bed by like 9 nine thirty, but I wouldn't say that I actually like hit the sack until ten, ten thirty. Like I don't fall asleep. I usually, you know, watch a little TV or whatever. Um you know, ideally I get eight hours of sleep, but sometimes my body clock just wakes me up at five AM even if I went to bed at ten. And so I don't really fight it at that point because there's no use. But um you know, ideally I feel happy when I get eight hours of sleep in. Even if I don't, usually seven hours is pretty darn good. No, it's so good. So, I mean, it's not a crazy, it's not like you're like a zombie getting like three hours of sleep, workaholic, like to make this work. Like this sounds very realistic for those people who are interested in trying it. But I also, I can appreciate what you're saying. You're like, well, from the hours of like five till whenever kids get up, like it's uninterrupted time, like focused time. And I think that that's something that not enough people talk about or like really like aspire to. Like a lot of us are just like in the hamster wheel and responding to every fire that needs to be put out. And I think that it's really helpful to be mindful of productivity and the amount of focus that you put into your working hours and knowing that like, if you could just optimize that more and more and more and more, it should ultimately be about like less hours and more about impact, right? I mean, that's awesome. So that's cool. I also want to sort of dig into just like the work that you do specifically. So first and foremost, just tell us a little bit more about your company to give context to those listeners who may not know yet. Okay. So, you know, prior to me kind of starting my own business, my background is in marketing and uh, it's also in branding. I worked for a, a large branding agency in New York City and I was working on all sorts of global brands, but I actually was uh, overseeing the PNG Pampers business um, and I was also overseeing the Abbott Similac business in that position. So I was kind of already kind of introduced to parenting brands and that 
you know, category of products prior to um, becoming a mom myself. But when I became pregnant, I was just, you know, faced with the reality of, I don't want to be doing this anymore, you know, commuting into the city every day. It works for some people, certainly, but I just wanted to figure out how I could, again, have best of both worlds. So I decided to start my own marketing consulting practice when my son was born. And total 1000% coincidence, a friend of mine who's a web developer got in touch with me and she's like, I really need help. I need marketing help for one of my clients. It was a maternity skincare line. So again, just like happenstance. And I thought, okay, this is perfect for me because I just had a baby and I really, you know, I understand this category also just based on my work experience. And so I started working with that brand and then it kind of snowballed. This was 2010. So this was really at the like beginning of like the mommy blogger kind of thing. Um, And I started going to all these events in the city and interacting with other brands. And then it just became my niche. But as I was working in that industry, I realized there was a big problem uh, because I was constantly talking to these brands and I was a new mom myself. And I was talking to a lot of retailers because the brands were trying to get into the retailers. And I noticed what I call a trifecta of problems. One is that parents are extremely overwhelmed with the amount of products out there and they ask for advice and they get like too much advice and it's very, you know, confusing. Uh, Then you have the brands who are trying to fight for market share. And they're also trying to often in the parenting industry, reach a parent at a very specific stage. So that even like kind of further complicates their marketing efforts. And then you have the retailers who in my opinion, to this day, still haven't really caught up with the times. And like COVID kind of forced their hand a bit because it was just like everything, you know, was online, obviously. And so they were really kind of forced to rethink things. But even still, the experience of shopping online for baby products like hasn't really been, you know, perfected. And so when I saw this problem, I thought to myself, you know, there should really be a way that we can solve this. And I always kind of say my aha moment, I dumb it down to like me being on Facebook. My brother-in-law posted this BuzzFeed quiz, like what Disney character are you or something like that. And I was like, oh, you know, they should do this for registry. They should do this for moms, like build a quiz. And so that was July of 2014. I decided to build this company myself. Uh, And so I found a developer and I built Goo Goo Guru and launched it in March, April of 2015. And at that point, it was really a platform, like a website where parents could come and get, you know, highly personalized recommendations and content based on their lifestyle and style. And really, I got a lot of vanity kind of metrics, um, you know, a lot of early success, but just more kind of at the surface level where we had a lot of celebrities working with us um, to get these product recommendations and it was all organic. I never had to pay any celebrities or anything like that. There were like some big turning points. Like we worked with Whitney Port, who's become like a really good friend of mine. And we worked with like Mandy Moore. And, you know, the whole time uh, I was realizing that, you know, parents really did not want recommendations from a website or from like 
artificial intelligence, they wanted recommendations from other moms. Now, fast forward to COVID, I have always, always gotten emails from moms. They all say the same thing. It's like, hey, I do all my friends' baby registries. I'm like the go-to person in my play group for product recommendations. Are you hiring? I'd love to help moms with product recommendations. And my answer was always like, no. But at the same time, I realized, okay, these moms, I, at the time I called them the Google Sheet moms because like these are the moms that like create the Google Sheet of like registry must-haves and like pass them on to their friends and they like spread like wildfire. But these moms were really my biggest competition, but they wanted to join me. So I'm like, hmm, okay, how can I take my biggest competition and really turn them into my biggest asset? And the creator economy has really allowed me to do that because what I did was I pivoted the business and instead I'm empowering these moms to like learn how to make content creation a business for themselves, whether or not they want to be UGC content creators or they want to be influencers and monetize their audience. We kind of help them at any stage of the journey. And it's been very, very rewarding for me because it's one thing to help a mom in terms of like finding the right stroller for her, but it's an entirely other level of like reward for me personally, when I'm showing a mom, you know, I'm empowering her with the tools that she needs to forge a career for herself in content creation. That's kind of where we are today. We have a community of over 6,000 mom content creators. They range from kind of your everyday influencers um, or everyday, you know, UGC kind of content creators and all the way up to larger influencers and um, celebrities. And we still work with brands. We have a lot of brands that have been with us since 2015 and just kind of been along on the journey and just kind of trusted us that, you know, we're going to crack this nut. And so really like in a lot of ways, we're matching the mom content creators with the brands that we work with. We're kind of like a matchmaking service, but what makes this a little bit different than like your kind of typical agency is that we also have an audience of parents that are consuming that content. We still have our website and our blog and our social media channels where parents are coming to you know, watch and read this content about baby products. So it's this kind of ecosystem. <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's that whole launch of what we call our mom creators community happened just this year. So, I mean, it's been like a kind of slow evolution and pivot since 2015. I love that. That's awesome. And what does your shirt say, by the way? I, see, I keep seeing it oh. peek up. We designed it. It says mom tent because like on TikTok, that's what they call mom content is mom tent. Oh, okay. That makes, I love that. That was so good. I was like, it says mom something, mom something. No, it's so good. I love that. Like I shared with you earlier, I happen to also find that there is a lot of opportunity in the parenting space in particular, um, especially on the influencer side, because not only could you get a, you know, a brand deal or just any sort of opportunity for like the mom, but then there's the kid and then there's the husband and the family. And it's like things that everybody uses. And so as a former talent manager, I sort of fell into that, but soon realized how much opportunity there was in it. So that 
ended up being a strong focus of mine personally. And I know a lot of people in WIM find the same thing. Like it lines up nicely with that lifestyle area, which a lot of people know is very similarly described where, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there. My question for you though, is I feel like there are unique challenges to being in the parenting space that I personally experience. And I'd love to hear what you've experienced, like just what challenges and nuances are specifically in the parenting space. And like, I don't know, have you overcome all of them? Some of them, or are you still working on them? In the parenting space, I would say like one of the biggest challenges is just that, you know, as far as like just the brands that I'm working with, you have like the major legacy players like the Gracos of the world. And then you have a lot of these kind of small mom entrepreneur, you know, businesses. And then maybe this is true with all industries, but I do feel like there's a varying level of knowledge as far as, you know, how influencer marketing works, how content works, you know, why content is so crucial for your business success. So there's that. I mean, the other issue uh, in the parenting industry is that, you know, on the creator side of things, moms, in, and by the way, you know, we, we work with all sorts of parents, but I mean, I 99.9% of my audience is moms. But so with our mom creators, they're trying to break into content creation, but they don't quite understand the brand's needs all the time. And I say that like, Brands want storytelling. And I think that a lot of these content creators, they think like, oh, I'm going to do an unboxing or from a subject matter standpoint, like I'm going to do registry must-haves. Like, first of all, there is no such thing as like one standard list of registry must-haves. Registry must-haves change from mom to mom. If you are a mom who is breastfeeding um, exclusively, and you're not going to use bottles, then a bottle feeding exclusively mom's registry is not going to be a fit for you. And so I think that there's kind of this, I don't know how, what the right word is, but this mistake that especially new mom influencers and new mom creators just kind of entering the space that they're like, oh, this is going to be a great topic for me to create content about. And it's really not. And it's the same with like unboxings. I did a TikTok about this yesterday. I was talking with a brand and she's like, you know, I'll send this product out to 50 influencers. You know, they have no understanding like how much time it takes for me to box all this stuff up, ship it out. And then they just do an unboxing. And while unboxings are helpful, it's like, okay, you know, what can I do with 50 unboxing videos? You know, I think that on the creator side of things, it just requires a little bit more thought and creativity. And one of the major, major challenges with the parenting industry is that there are a lot of safety usage guidelines, compliance issues that mom creators, parent creators in general, like just don't realize. And don't take the time to really consider it for their content because I cannot tell you, I mean, this is like the bane. I could say this to any baby gear company and they'd understand because this has been the bane of my existence many times where I get a phenomenal piece of content from a celebrity, you know, and the baby's in a car seat and the chest clip is in the wrong place. 
the brand can't use it. The brand cannot use that content because it's a safety issue. And so those kind of like content nuances are a big, you know, challenge in the industry. I think another challenge in the industry is that brands need to target moms at certain stages. So it makes things really kind of extra complicated for them as far as targeting, because you can go on Facebook and you could target a mom at this age and, you know, lives in this part of the country or whatever. Like there's general targeting on Facebook ads, let's say, but it's becomes more difficult, the more kind of granular you're trying to target. Like a mom who is, you know, considering cloth diapers, but is scared about it, like those kind of things. And that's the kind of information that we collect about our mom creator so that we really understand like not only what kind of products are a great fit for them, but what kind of brands they'd be a good match for. There are some challenges that are just like not unique to the industry, but certainly, you know, the challenge of the safety, the like kind of hyper targeting and also just the unique storytelling aspect, especially with these products, there's so much like education involved with some of them. It's like the brand wants you to say all these talking points, right? But you don't want it to seem staged in like an ad. At the same time, if you don't kind of hit some of those points, then the content is lackluster and really doesn't tell the story that the brand wants. So those are pretty much the the unique challenges that we face. And that's a lot of challenges, you know? I mean, it's a challenging space to be in, but like an area with so much opportunity and so much promise and money flowing in and out, like, of course, it's going to innately have challenges, right? So I think it's great to have like an organization like yours and a community like yours to help like to have a whole community of people who can help navigate those things together. But I also am cognizant of like being a parent myself now, parenting is a very unique thing, right? Like everybody sort of approaches how they parent their kid differently. So for example, some people just generally think that it's go to the 10th degree, like really, really bad to even have your kids on social media. Like, Mm -hmm. let's go there. You know, like some people are like, you know, you're profiting off of your children. They don't have a say or a choice. I mean, people are probably most opinionated when it comes to parenting in general. And so, you know, to those really like personal choices and the mindset of how to navigate those really challenging comments on, you know, videos or content and stuff like that. Is there any advice that you would give to people who want to embark on, you know, entering this space and and talking about what it is to be a parent and having kids, but might face really harsh criticism? Yeah. It's funny. I don't remember the TikToker's name, but I just saw this woman the other day talk about content babies. And she said, content babies are, you know, when mom influencers just have babies so they can make more content and profit more. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm sure that applies, unfortunately, to some influencers, (laughs) but uh, hopefully not many. I, I mean, it's a very real thing about moms not wanting to show their kids on social media for like safety reasons and stuff like that. And I've talked to brands about this. I'm seeing it. It really isn't even a matter of other people's opinions, whether or not they're profiting off their kids. It's just like safety, privacy, that kind of thing. And who knows, they might be swayed by those comments about, you know, that coming from people who are profiting. I mean, 
I think that uh, it's a personal decision. Social media is just, it can be such a wonderful thing, but it can be such an ugly thing. And no matter what you do and how careful you are, there's always the possibility that somebody's going to criticize you for something, right? So I think that it's kind of a no-win situation if you want to put your kids on social, whether you're trying to profit from them or not somebody's going to criticize. For me, you know, my daughter, it always wants to be on my TikTok lives with me. Like she always wants to participate. I mean, she's 10 years old. So I feel like she's a little bit more kind of understanding of, you know, of the situation versus like a newborn or like a one-year-old. But um, there are a lot of options. Uh, Again, I've done like videos about this where you can have your kids in the video without actually showing them, or you can just not have them in the video. And I know a lot of influencers on TikTok and on Insta who are not even showing their kids and who have great content and a great engaged community. So I don't think it's a must have. And I think that if you decide to show your kids, you have to go in with open eyes that you're going to get some criticism. But it's like right now, I mean, it's just so crazy, as you said. I mean, parents are so judgmental. It's so annoying because we should just all be supporting each other, um, you know, to a degree. But it's like they had this woman talked about, I don't even know who it was, said something about not bathing her toddler. And it just became like such a huge thing on social about like how often you should bathe your toddler And there's this like one camp that you should bathe them like every other day. There's another camp that you should bathe them every day. It's like, but it like gets ugly and it's just so ridiculous to me. Um, But that's because I always joke around. I'm like an elderly mom at this point um, compared to the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys on on social right now. But yeah, I mean, I think if you want to have your kids on social, you're just going to have to arm yourself that you're going to get some criticism about it. And if you don't want to show your kids on social, but you want to be on social and you want to be a mom influencers, there, mom influencer, there is a way to do that and you can do it successfully without showing your kids. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I like living in a world where there's a lot of gray and it's not so black and white. So what you're describing is that gray area and I appreciate that so much. Um, and I think that similar to you, I, I agree with you. I mean, any influencer that's going to be on the internet and like really make a go at this, like you just have to have thick skin no matter what you're talking about. You're putting yourself there on the internet um, and it's like people feel like it's free reign to just criticize anything and everything. I mean, I was just like scrolling on like the Reddit channel, I guess. I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not like on Reddit as much, but there's, it's like influencer snark is the thread on there. And like, I was just like, oh, I wonder if there are like interesting stories that we could perhaps like cover even on this podcast. And like, oh my God. God, it's crazy. I mean, because influencers, the new celebrity and forever Mm -hmm. in a day, you feel like you can criticize celebrities. Like they're almost not human in the way that people just don't necessarily have empathy. I would like to think that parenting influencers, like you could, people are inclined to have more empathy towards them. They're literally just like, you know, parents of children and, you know, that you would like to think that they feel more approachable or like relatable, that you can have empathy towards them. But it's like a whole other level of criticism that they get because people so fundamentally believe what they believe when it comes to how to parent children. So I personally appreciate 
the parenting influencers that sort of like provide their like off color, you know, perspective that is a little bit different. I think that most influencers who happen to be the most successful, they just swim in their own lane anyway. Um, And that's actually another question that I have for you too. Because when I think of like a lot of parenting influencers, I do think that like there are a lot of them that are very similar. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like, oh, right. Like she's the mom from the Midwest who like has her picket fence and this and that. Like, is there a type of influencer that you've seen be more successful? Is there a way that you could sort of like describe what that influencer looks like? Or is it just like, there's more to it than that? It's funny. I just, I I was talking about, media kits that I see. Cause I'll, I'll see like, and <laughs> I don't mean to sound rude, but I'll see these media kits from mom influencers and they all say the same thing. Like I write about family, fun and food and sometimes fitness, you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, we got to differentiate ourselves here. Cause I see, you know, family fun and food, you know, on pretty much like every single media kit, even the handles, you know, it's like, Mama loves Starbucks. Like there's so many different, like, I hope there's no influencer named Mama loves Starbucks. But, um, I just made that up. But, um, and if there is, I'm sorry. But it's just, you know, very similar type of approach to how they promote themselves. And so I don't think that those mom creators or those influencers are really going to win at the game because having an edge and having a kind of point of differentiation is going to be really, really important. And I think, you know, to answer your question about like who's doing it well, I mean, I think that it depends. Like I do see some kind of cross-platform, like I do see some moms on TikTok that are doing well on Reels. I can't remember this one woman's name, but like all that she does is um, dance to 90s music and it is hilarious, like absolutely hilarious. And I think that, you know, if you're going to be on TikTok, you know, the authenticity factor is big. I think, you know, being relatable, being honest, whereas Instagram, it might be a bit more of a curated, polished, aesthetic experience. And as I said, I do see some moms for sure kind of performing well, but it all comes down to community and who builds community through you know, telling poignant stories through relatable content, through just, you know, being real or also aspirational. You know, some of the influencers, especially on Instagram, you know, whether it's, you know, outfit of the day or whatever, that's just kind of bringing people back to more and bringing people back for more and making people feel like connected because they're kind of aspiring and also being inspired by the content. Those are the influencers that are going to win is really focused on community. If they're on TikTok and they're just dancing to trending sounds and that kind of thing, I, no matter how many followers they have, it's not really a community. And that's kind of the key piece to, to all of this is it's really the quality over the quantity. I think I heard Somebody say once, it's not the width, it's the depth. In my opinion, those are the influencers that really stand out who've successfully done that. And can we get specific? I'd love to hear like you have this incredible community and you're so like you're my subject matter expert. Like you are so privy to so many insights in terms of the parenting space. Like 
what are a handful of ways that you're seeing these parenting influencers monetize? Like, because, you know, we think of, you know, oh, brand partnerships, but you're talking about community as well. And I'm sure throughout, if you have a really engaged community, there are dozens of ways that you can monetize that. So are there any like more unique ways that sort of have like really stood out to you as you watch some of these influencers really like hit it out of the park? Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen these platforms. I don't know if you want to call them digital product platforms or but just ways that you can monetize your link in bio. Because I do think brand sponsorships right now, especially with kind of the uncertain economic climate, it's really good for any kind of influencer, any kind of creator to hedge their bets and look into additional means of revenue aside from just a brand sponsorship. There's affiliate, right? That's kind of one way that you can monetize. And there are lots of social commerce apps coming out now that make it easier than ever for you to monetize your content. Um, Meaning like you could even just do an outfit of the day photo and then easily uh, have affiliate links in your LinkedIn bio to monetize that. The other thing is digital products. And digital products could really be as simple as, you know, Instagram just released subscriptions. My brother runs a dog rescue and he got the option to do subscriptions. And I said, this is something great because, you know, for you, people could subscribe to certain dogs that you rescue to kind of watch, you know, their journey from being rescued and on the verge of death to, all you know, getting adopted into their forever homes. And, um, that could be something that you charge for. Similarly, you know, I'm an ambassador for a company called Stan for Creators. Um, and uh, on TikTok, supposedly, you're not supposed to say like, you know, check my link in bio because then they don't like show the content. But Stan allows you to really monetize your content through your link in bio. So the content could be something like a phone call with me, like pay Monica $5, you know, for an ask me anything or, you know, pay me $10 and I'll come up with like a, you know, I'll review your portfolio and provide like a personalized video of uh, your UGC portfolio feedback from me. You know, it depends on what kind of expert you are. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to kind of fight against, oh, I don't want to have a niche. I don't have a niche. I'm like the everyday nicheless person, whatever. It's fine. But if you really, really want to monetize, you need to have, you know, some sort of expertise or some sort of niche that you can dial into, or else it makes it really difficult, uh, to monetize outside of, you know, just standard UGC relationships or sponsored posts. And those categories are becoming so inundated right now that I just don't know what's going to happen because the saturation of like UGC creators, it's like getting very, very saturated. So you need to, again, like build community. And in order to even build community, you have to have some sort of niche, even if it's like humor. I mean, I prefer being more specific, but I was talking to an influencer the other day and she make some of the funniest content. I laughed so hard at her content. And I said to her, like, you could even do something like have people pay you to do almost like a cameo type of thing where you like send a cheer up to another mom who might be going through, like, she's very funny, but she also went through postpartum depression. So she talks about that a lot. So like I was saying like, well, you could do like really funny digital greeting cards and you don't even have to charge a lot for them and they start to add up. So 
I think that, you know, those are the different types of ways that you can monetize outside of just your standard sponsored posts. Um, and I definitely think it's very, very important that if you want to make a career out of being a content creator, that you look into those things. Everybody has a special gift. Everybody has a special gift. And whether you know it or not. And if you know what your special gift is, like I can help, you know, people lose weight or I can help, you know, whatever it might be, um, because you did it yourself, you know, you can offer the transformation that you went through to somebody else. Or if you are stuck, like, I don't know what my special gift is, ask friends like, Hey, what would you come to me for advice for? Like, you know, what kind of things do you enjoy? Like even asking your audience, like what kind of content do you enjoy for me? Um, and kind of leaning into that, then you can monetize your community a bit more because, you know, if you're a keto, you know, expert, you can do your favorite keto cookbook download and <laughs> digital PDF, whatever, and charge a couple of bucks for it. But as I said, you know, that starts to add up really, really quickly. If you've got, you know, 10,000 followers on TikTok and, and they're good quality followers um, and not just a bunch of people who saw you do like, you know, a dance to a trending sound and, <laughs> um, and decided to follow along because they're, they're likely going to leave you if you're not bringing them quality content after that. Totally. And how do you feel also about some parenting influencers in particular? It's not just influencers, but I find this to be a lot in the parenting space. Like, how do you feel about some of those folks who shy away from like world issues? Like, I found that during some like more heated times around like the deaths of, you know, George Floyd and like Black Lives Matter or even like the, you know, the war in Ukraine or any sort of political issues or, you know, Roe v. Wade even, I was like, all right, some influencers are going to speak up about that. Like that's a women's rights issue. I find that not only are a lot of these influencers who have an incredible opportunity because they have these huge audiences, not only are they silent, but I've spoken personally to some of them. Of course, this is just some. And they're like, oh, I very, very intentionally avoid like talking about these topics because they're so polarizing and all of the things. So like, what are your personal thoughts on, you know, sharing your political beliefs or sharing your ideas about some of these more controversial issues considering they have these huge platforms? If you have a huge platform, you should be using it for good in some way. And because the nature of some of these things is so, you know, polarizing and cancel culture, it's very, very real, unfortunately. You know, I think that you have to have the intention to use your platform for good, but maybe that's, you know, doing something to give back to, you know, a charity of your choice or some other way that you use social for good or your platform for good, whatever that might be. But you're not really talking about, you know, certain topics like on a day-to-day -day basis. I think on the flip side, like some people kind of bring up these polarizing topics to get more you know, engagement and they don't really necessarily know what they're talking about. And so it can kind of work against you because everybody has 
such a heated opinion about so many of these things. So what about on the brand side? Like I'm curious what conversations you're sort of privy to, right? Like I shared, like I've spoken to influencers and they're like being candid with me and they're like real talk girl. Like I don't talk about those things because I feel like it's almost like dangerous to do so. Are you privy to any conversations on the brand side where brands are like, oh, we're like avoiding anybody who's talking about these polarizing topics? I'm sort of curious like what the brand side of this all is. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that. Like I signed up for Elvest, which is, this is not a, p- a parenting brand, but it's a, an investment, you know, kind of educational resource for women teaching you how to invest. And it really blew my mind. This was back in, I guess it was 2016 when Trump was in office. And I got this email from Elvest and they just went off. And it was from the founder. It was like, hi, I'm the founder of Elvest. Like, I hate Donald Trump. And I was just like, wow, good for her. Like, you know, that's what she's passionate about. And that's what she wants to use her platform for. Then go girl. Like that's, but I think um, it all comes from the top. So I think, you know, for me with my team, I've often, you know, told them like, uh, I can't remember what it was about, but, uh, my social media manager wasn't posting about some, some very hot topic, the George Floyd type of thing. And I just went on Instagram because I was passionate about that particular thing. And I posted about it and she texted me and said, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for you know, doing that because I had absolutely no idea if I was allowed to say anything. And I, you know, that's one of those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot that I'm kind of like running this company because like, you know, I look at all my teammates as like, we're all just kind of trying to do the same thing here. And I don't ever think of myself as somebody that like, they'd have to ask me if they could post about it, but it makes sense obviously. Right. Because it could be a very polarizing thing. And so I think it really comes from the top. I've seen brands who are very, very uh, passionate about certain things. And I see it, you know, manifested on their social media. And I assume that they got the green light from their higher ups to do so. And I've seen founders that are very, very passionate about certain things. So it really, I think it's a choice of whoever's running the company um, and not so much the person who's just kind of like, managing social media. Like if it's happening, it must be coming from the top. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't know about you. I like, it's just a crazy world that we live in, you know, like seeing these like really, really heated conversations can take a lot out of a person. But on the flip side, I also think that they're just like, they're almost necessary for hopefully people to ultimately come together. I just think like silence is dangerous. I think that like hiding away from things or shying away from things is more dangerous than the alternative, which is just like, I think it's a powerful thing to speak your mind. I think it's good to have people learn. I think the ideal is to have people to learn how to communicate better, not talk at each other. And I hope that that's like conducive to what you've been saying this whole time, which is like for any influencer to be successful, so much of it is about community. Mm-hmm. And like, isn't that what a community is? Like, it's not just that you're preaching at these people. It's like, no, you're a community, you're together, you're speaking with each other, hearing each other. I've been curious about 
that piece for a while. And it's sort of helpful to hear what you've witnessed as well, because I find that parenting influencers in particular, for some reason, they seem to be a little bit more shy from talking about some of these controversial topics than others. So I've been curious what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's one attitude where it's like, you know, for Google Guru, it's like our whole thing is about baby product recommendations. So it might seem kind of completely out of left field if suddenly we post about George Floyd on our Instagram feed, because all we've been talking about is like bottles and pacifiers. And so it's a little bit about like, what is the community about? I mean, and I think, you know, in some of these situations, it's a bit about responsibility because if you don't have all the facts, unfortunately with cancel culture, there's a lot of just in general, like this guilty before proven innocent, you know, and not how it should be, which is vice versa. And that if you don't have all the facts and you're speaking up on something without all the facts, that's a liability. And it can also cause damage. You know, I'm trying to think of an example of just like, you know, if somebody was wrongly accused of something or whatever, or, you know, people said, you know, said something was a suicide instead of a, like an accidental death because they didn't have all the facts. And like, those things have ramifications. So they might be overly cautious and shooting themselves in the foot because of it, to your point, because it's kind of like, maybe if they're so too cautious, they kind of miss the opportunity to do something good. It's hard. I think it's not a one size fits all kind of scenario for these kind of topics, you know? Yeah. And I'm also curious, like in terms of your own business, you know, you brought it up. You're like, well, it might feel, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, (laughs) Yeah, like exactly. Like it might feel out of left field. Thank you. If, you know, our company is talking about baby formula one day and then George Floyd the next day. So like, you know, with your extensive background and all this stuff, like how do you guys manage that as a company? Yeah, I think we tend to stick to not necessarily bringing up things like that because I don't, you know, my company is Google Guru and it's not really person, like an influential person. We don't necessarily like go into those kind of topics. However, we are very, very sensitive to, for example, like when there's a school shooting or something like that, you know, we're not like posting happy content, you know, and pretending that it didn't happen. So there's a balance there for us. Like we're respectful of what's going on in the media, but I don't think as a company, you know, we take sides on anything necessarily, especially, you know, something like a heated debate, because it's just not the right forum. It would seem a a bit odd to do it there. And I have my own personal social media channels where I'll share whatever, and that's me. I don't consider myself an influencer necessarily, but I guess I definitely have some influence for sure. But I think that a lot of those topics are more appropriate on your private channels or on your personal channels than they are just kind of like on your company's channels. You also have like, an obligation to the brands that you work with too. I recommended this dad influencer once and I had absolutely no idea that there was a huge scandal. He cheated on his wife and like whatever it was. And then the brand came back to me and they were like, oh, you know, (laughs) like we don't want to work with him. (laughs) Didn't you realize that he had this big scandal? And I thought to myself, oh, you know, so I think that you have an obligation to the brands that you work with too, that you don't want to polarize your audience, especially if a brand is paying you to, 
run something about a baby bottle, you know, and you're going off about like, you know, how much you hate the president or whatever, you know, that's a little bit of a disconnect as far as our company goes versus like a regular influencer who might have more freedom to do something like that. Yeah. I also just wonder, like to your point earlier, like we're all influencers. I feel like there is someone interviewed me yesterday from like a, a college and they're like, Oh, I'd love to like pick your brain. Or someone comes to me and they're like a student. I'm like, yes, I'm happy to talk to you. I want to like help you. So I didn't look at the questions that she was going to be asking me until like, right as she was asking me them. And they were like talking to me as if I'm an influencer. Like the questions were like questions you would ask an influencer. And I'm like, well, I don't consider myself an influencer, but I think that that brings up a really good topic, which is just that like, what is an influencer anymore? You know, it's not what we used to think of it as. It's simply just like, there are some people who tune in and who listen to you and who you have weight in what you say to them and you have a platform and an opportunity. Hopefully, like you said earlier, you use it for good. That would be fantastic. That's definitely ideal. But I don't really, I think that the word influencer is really dramatically changing these days. And I think it's a really good thing. I just, I look at everything in life, most things in life is like where the opportunity is. And if you have a 500 people who follow you and all those 500 people are so intrigued by what you have to say, heck yeah, you're an influencer. And like, and you should use that as an opportunity to influence and for good. So look, I'm super happy that we got to connect today. And it's been really intriguing things for like going there with me about everything in your world. Cause I've been like a little removed from it for a while. So it's helpful to hear from your perspective, you know, parenting influencers and what they're going through and how brands interact with them. And I think it's all really, really fascinating for those people who want to learn more about you, um, your company, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So, I mean, our website's guru G-U-G-U-G-U-R-U. My kind of mom creator, like influencer side of things is mom creators. So you can find me on TikTok and Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter all as mom creators. So we have kind of our guru guru, which is more the content to consume. And then mom creators, which is more information and resources about how you can monetize your influence as a mom. And I love to be intentional. I think it's like the perfect way to end our conversation. Who's the ideal person that you want to reach out to you? Oh, you know what? Sarah Blakely. I freaking love her. I love it. Okay. So perfect. So if there's Sarah Blakely out there and you're listening to the show or someone similar, you know, definitely reach out. I love it. Thank you so, so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.